Welcome back to the podcast. Many years ago, I appeared on a local TV show in Southern California to debate the topic of jury nullification. I thought that old footage was long lost, but a few years back, it was found on an old hard drive. That footage was placed on YouTube and then subsequently lost again when YouTube removed my channel for telling the truth about various aspects of SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, and the vaccines, all the things I said having since been scientifically proven factual. What a world we live in when big tech removes science because it conflicts with falsehoods put out by government. Today's presentation is the third time this information is being provided to the public because this time it's being posted to Rumble, a free speech platform. Hopefully it will now remain available forever. Jury nullification is a completely lost aspect of our criminal justice system. People in our society often rail against government overreach while ignoring what is perhaps the most effective and important nonviolent means of blocking that overreach. Every American should be thoroughly educated about jury nullification. Jury nullification is as much a part of our liberty as is free speech, freedom of association, freedom from unreasonable search and seizure, and every other unalienable right. Jury nullification is a critical aspect of our liberty equation. The Dr. Reality Vodcast with Dave Champion. Let's start with this. One of the things I appreciate about this footage is it embodies something rarely seen in America anymore. Open debate between people with knowledge and expertise. A couple of months ago, I did a presentation in which I discussed the fact that experts are no longer willing to debate in order to defend their publicly stated positions. My personal view is that if a so-called expert refuses to debate his or her publicly stated position, then whatever he or she said should be considered non-credible and ignored. I'll put a link to that video in the notes. I should also let you know that the discussion of jury nullification takes place within a broader discussion of jury duty generally. Because I was given permission years ago to use clips of the show, but not air the entire show, you're going to see a series of meaningful clips. Speaking of clips, a quick word to those listening via the podcast. Between the various segments, there will be a couple of seconds of silence. Not to worry, nothing is wrong. It's just the way the clips are from an earlier version. Also, as I said in the introduction, this show took place a long time ago, so you may be shocked at the difference in my appearance. I hope you enjoy the information. I'll touch base with you again at the end. Thanks for watching. I'm Brian Champion. Welcome to Speakeasy. Tonight we're talking about jury duty. Is it your duty? Many people don't like jury duty and they're always looking for ways to get out of it, or some people love jury duty and they're looking for ways to get into it. Tonight we're going to banter that topic about it, and here to help me do that is my esteemed panel, Dave Champion, no relation. Thank you. This is your second appearance on Speakeasy? It is. Thank you for having me. Now, you are the executive director of OriginalIntent.org. That's correct. www.OriginalIntent.org? Yes. Jimmy Orland, a recurring panelist, a regular guy, regular panelist. We can keep you off the panel here. Well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate the sincerity. <laughs> and you are an attorney at law. I am, yes. <clears throat> Practicing. <clears throat> I practice from time to time. Actually, I'm so good now, I don't even practice anymore. You got it perfectly down. Good. So. All right, and Tom Hallen, portfolio manager and with stocks and bonds and all that stuff. And yeah, mostly stocks. Okay, and first time on the uh, on the panel. Yeah. Welcome. Thanks for yeah. being here. Thank you. 
And Patrick Lindstruth, you know, you're a business owner and you also work with Dave Champion. You're in charge of political affairs over Correct. at originalintent.org. Correct. Okay. Now we're mentioning this political, this originalintent.org. What, let's just get this out of the way. What is originalintent.org? Because I don't think people are clear on what that is. Original Intent is an organization dedicated to the restoration and revitalization of the inalienable rights spoken of in the Declaration of Independence. Sort of like the civil rights movement was in the 60s. This is what we're, we're after today. What's your position on, on the jury system? Are you pro or con? I, I don't think there's, there's an issue of pro or con with the jury system. I think the issue is how can the jury system be that which it has always been and, and has lost much of its zeal and appeal over the years. The jury system has always been, as Patrick said, the last line of defense. It is something we should participate in. It is something we should be a part of. Although today, it, it, was, a, it was a right. You, you remember probably when you were growing up, like my parents, it's a right to go sit on a jury. <laughs> but today, it's not treated like a right. Today, it's, it's, if you don't go, it's treated like a criminal act. If you get that piece of paper in the mail that says jury summons, and you don't fill it out, and you don't sign it, and you don't send it back, what does it say on there? They may issue a warrant for your arrest. What kind of right is that? Well, obviously, that was a criminal case because, you know, we're dealing with the prosecution and the defense, but that's what's called voir dire. And it's the process where they get to pick the jury. And, you know, when, when you're a defendant in a criminal matter, you want your lawyer to go there and uh, make sure you have a jury that is acceptable to you. And that's part of the whole process, but, part but of trying a case. I, I understand are, that. Are you identified, though, by your socioeconomic status in that process? Ab absolutely. So, and unequivocally, yes. Well, the vote so process. don't they want people who are less, uh, less up there on the socioeconomic scale and maybe, you know, somebody who maybe is not as bright? Well, they'd, like, they'd love to get, especially, you know, the, the, the defense would love to get the jurors from the O.J. Simpson trial. That, that would be optimum <laughs> for them. Um, but it's important to, to note that the Vodire process has, over the years, become far and away something it was never intended to be. Originally, it was meant to prevent people who had <clears throat> excessive biases. For instance, if you're trying a rape case, um, if there's somebody who's been raped or their, their wife, is, if it's a man whose wife has been raped, it's meant to keep those sort of people off of the jury for the obvious reason they cannot judge the facts objectively. They have an emotional bias. However, the system today has gotten down to are you black, are you white, how much money do you make, do you drive a BMW, uh, do you cycle as a recreational sport? And these questions are wholly inappropriate. Well, you that, can't ask questions of, about your race. <clears throat> you cannot exclude a juror based on their race. You can make your decision <laughs> yes. based on that. Yes. Um, but the point is the Vodire process in its entirety, I think you would agree, is, is far and away not what it was originally designed. No, but um, I mean you have basically if somebody has an obvious prejudice or bias, then they could be excluded for cause. And each side has a certain amount of peremptory challenges where for whatever reason, although it's not supposed to be for race, and you know, obviously uh, in certain cases you want a certain ethnic makeup. But, uh, you know, you can basically exclude a juror for any reason without saying it. You just say, you know, I'd like to thank and excuse uh, juror number 12. And they get up and walk away. And, you know, it's, sometimes it's a gut feeling when you're trying a case about, you know, this person, some person might be staring, glaring at, glaring at the party you represent, whether it's civil, civil or criminal, and you just get a feeling. So it, that's what it's for. You have a certain amount of peremptory challenges, and at the end you're supposedly have a jury. And you're, you're a litigator, so you're out there picking juries? Yes. 
Some people believe that it's your that you should serve on a jury, and there's a lot of people that I know that want to get out of jury duty, and it seems like it's more difficult these days. So I'm how, glad about that, by the way. Okay. Our whole system is it's a, it's based on citizens going and doing their civic duty, going to jury duty. I mean, it, there would be anarchy if if nobody went to jury duty. But if Everybody, I walk in to go to jury duty and I walk in with a constitution, aren't they going to dismiss me anyways? I mean, wouldn't instantly. Really? So that's one way to get out of jury duty is to have your citizen's rule book and say, I, I, you know, can we go over? I have some questions about the Constitution. Yeah. Can you answer these for me? If you do something as simple as ask some definitions off of the jury summons, before you sign it, before you execute it, if you send in a letter, by the way, the letter's posted on our website under the educational. And you, you've done this with yes, this absolutely. letter? Yes, and, and as many, many people So have. people can download this letter if they want to get out of jury duty? Well, I wouldn't phrase it if they want to get out of jury duty. But the, but the point it just is, happens to work that way. It, yeah. It's an interesting exercise. Because Everybody's attorneys around here. Suddenly the, the language gets real tight. When you ask them for the definition of certain legal terms they use on the jury summons, because they don't want to let you know what the true definitions are. When you ask them in writing and you don't send the summons in, that's the last time you'll ever hear from them. They will not answer your, your question. They won't tell you what the definitions are, and you'll never hear from them again. So by asking them something they don't want to reveal, they will take you off the list. Okay, so how do I get that letter? Uh, go to uh, www.originalintent.org and uh, click on the educational category, and there's a link on the left that says jury letter. Click on that. It'll take you right to that page. Not, not that I want to get out of jury duty. I just want to see the letter. Well, that's another issue, is, is the concern about who is responding to the jury summonses these days. Um, obviously, <clears throat> an executive who's making $150,000 a year, and he's putting in 60, 70 hours a week, and he's got a family and kids, he's going to find a way not to go sit on that jury. Um, somebody who has an eighth grade education and isn't working and is on unemployment is going to rush right down and participate in that process. For 14 bucks a day, or what, what is the pay now? <laughs> exactly, for $14. $14 a day. So, okay. So I, I think it's questionable today, unfortunately, probably because of the way the jury system has been operating for the last 30 or 40 years, it's unfortunate that the people we really want to see on the juries, mm -hmm. the people who can make heads or tails out of, you say, the law or the fact, as you said, the jury disregarded both. Oh, yeah. Right. We, we need juries who can understand the law, decide if it's pertinent in the case, decide if it's pertinent in their community, can look at the facts and determine whether the person did the act or didn't do the act, and then render a correct verdict. And I question whether this, well, the way the system is operating today, if that's really taking place. Let's say Jimmy's an attorney and he's representing a defendant, and he wants to, uh, to make the jury aware of the type of things you're saying that they don't have to listen to the judge's instructions about the law. The judge will sanction it. How, really? You that couldn't, would be, you couldn't bring that forward. The, other, the prosecutor would object as being argumentative and... And these booklets, uh, these booklets here that, that I think you've seen before, the which deal with the fully, fully informed jury concept, which is what we're discussing, if you attempt to pass these out in a courtroom, they will or in the hallway for that matter, the security personnel will remove you from the court building for attempting to let jurors know what their rights are. And any juror, by the way, who ex tries to explain fully informed jury to their fellow jurors, if one of those jurors goes to the judge, the juror who is attempting to do the education will be ejected from the jury. Now, before you put that book away, let's tell our, our audience what that book is. The book is the Citizen's Rule Book. It contains jury rights. It, it has uh, the Constitution. It has jury rights, well, constitutions, uh, points of law, which have been fairly well lost that are important to our constitutional sorry, foundations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
What are the instructions of the judge? Because, uh, like, in the aren't they supposed to judge everything, including the law, as well? And they're never instructed no. that they can judge the law. No, 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 no. Jurors are not allowed to. Questions of law are up to the court. Questions of fact are up to the jury. Okay. No, no that that is a, a serious point of contention. Now, I agree with Jimmy that the judges do give that instruction. However, that instruction is a instruction which is not lawful. There is no precedent for that in the law, other than the fact that after the Civil War, the judges began to tell the jurors that. Um, if, you, if you read back uh, to the quotes of the original chief justices of the U.S. Supreme Court, they completely dashed that concept upon the rocks. Uh, John Jay, the very first chief justice of the Supreme Court, said, the jury has a right to judge both law as well as the fact in controversy. And that was in the first jury trial of the Supreme Court. It was. And as recently as 1972, the court said, the pages of history shine, and obviously shine is a complimentary word, in instances of the jury's exercising its prerogative to disregard the instructions of the judge. So, and, and there's many more sites and I won't bother to read them, but the point being that the historical history of this country is that citizens have the right to judge both the fact and the law. What has taken place is that judges tell the jury, you are to take the law as I give it to you. So if I tell you it is illegal to do this and such, your only determination is, did the defendant do it? Well, in reality, one of the aspects that the jury system was created to preserve was if a community does not like a law that the legislature passes, because there's, we, we all know how politics is. <laughs> right, something so that's it, frivolous. Right, so if the community ends up with a law because of what's going on you know, with a cigar-smoking crowd in the back room with the legislature, they have the right to do away with that law by jury nullification, which is where the jury decides, yes, in their own minds, yes, he did this, but the law is wrong, the law is bad, therefore I will not convict, I'll acquit. And by that, they can preempt laws that should never have been passed because the community does not want to live under them. A jury cannot make a, make a determination as to whether a law is constitutional or not. Or, so does the yeah, judge have more power than the jury, or does the jury have more power and than I'm the not judge? Ta are you talking about a trial judge or a, or a justice on an appeals court? Or well, aren't judges court? untouchable? I mean, you can't really go after a judge. Well, the only place no, you have a jury is a trial true. court, so we wouldn't be talking about the appellate process. That's what I'm Well, the, I'm, ta I'm not talking about a trial judge. I'm talking about the appellate process. Those are the justices who make, uh, make and interpret uh, whether a law is constitutional or not. True. Now, if we run a case all the way up through the appellate process, all the way to the United States Supreme Court, and the United States Supreme Court says, we find this statute constitutional, there's nothing barring in America a jury from hearing a case on that issue the next day and acquitting because they disagree with the court. There's nothing in law, there's nothing, actually, I should say the opposite. It is the tradition of this country. It is the tradition of the founding fathers. It is the statements of the founding chief, support, chief Supreme Court justice that that is exactly, as Patrick said, the last line of defense. If, if the entire government structure says, we say so, the jury has the right to say, not in my town. I think it is your civic duty to go in and serve on a jury. And I, I would agree. I, I would, would just agree. like every single person that walks through that courtroom door to know exactly what their prerogatives are as a citizen rather than sit there like government drones and the judge says, you will take the law as I give it to you and you have no discretion. My point is, if he wants to say that, I'll, God bless him. <laughs> but as far as the 12 folks sitting in that jury box, it's, it would be nice if they knew, yep, thanks for sharing that with me and I'll go ahead and make my decision as I see fit.
And the part that I, I think you were probably shooting for, and, and Jimmy would probably know the phraseology than I would, probably knows it by heart, the part about that the jury must take the law as I give it to you, and that you are not allowed to decide the law for yourselves. That's the message that the judge gives as at the end of his jury instructions. Okay, now so you... So he says uh, the judge will just basically tell them that um, you, you're here to interpret the facts, um, and, but you're not to make any rulings on law. And, to, and typically, I mean, a lot of different types of cases, if there's a question of law, uh, it's going to be decided by the court, a question of law only. And, and normally out of the hearing of, of the jury. It's significant to note that prior to the Civil War, no judge ever instructed a jury that they were to follow his version of the law. What happened was, after the Civil War, uh, when the, 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 uh, the slaves had become free, the, the southern citizens still weren't too keen on that idea, even though they'd lost the war. So what would happen is a, a, a white man would go out and beat a black man on the street, and he'd be put on trial for it. Well, the, the jury would acquit, the white jury would acquit the white man, obviously, right. down south in those days. And so because the southern states were under federal rule at that time as a defeated foe, the, the federal judges that had been placed down there began to tell the juries, you may not determine whether or not you like this law. I will give you the law, and that's how this tradition started. Well, we're, we're well past an environment where that needs to take place, but yet now it's used as a method where the government says, if you don't like the law, tough, eat it. You have to, you have to take it the way I give it to you, and if you don't like it, so be it. And it also can't be, if you look at, the jury has also been, you know, described as like the last line of defense of protecting liberties from an abusive government. If we left it up to the government to decide whether or not a law is constitutional or not, what recourse do we have when they're wrong and abusive? It's always been the jury, you know, can just say, we say this law is unconstitutional. It doesn't necessarily have to be decided by the courts. I think a perfect issue that this would ring true with a lot of people is, say, uh, marijuana laws. Okay. Uh, to ask a jury to convict wh and whether or not a person thinks that marijuana should be illegal or not illegal is not the point. Point being, that jury has the right to decide whether that law about marijuana is something they want to enforce in their community. Despite what somebody 300 miles away in Sacramento says, mm. that jury still has the right to determine in their town whether they want people prosecuted for marijuana offenses. And if they acquit everyone that the city attorney or district attorney brings to trial, that's going to send a message and you're not going to see any more prosecutions. I disagree with the fact that you're basically telling uh, these jurors who have, they've never had any legal training to take the law into their own hands, to interpret the law themselves. That's not their function. Their function is to decide the fact, the factual issues. They're given an instruction and apply those facts to the law. It's well, no, not it says their job. The courts have ruled that the jurors have the right to decide the law, but they don't have to be told about it. And where does that end? <laughs> this is based on the Doherty decision that he mentions. It's conforming to an 1895 Supreme Court decision that held the same thing. Court ruled that although juries have the right to ignore a judge's instructions in the law, they don't have to be made aware of the right to do so. So basically, you can't get the Constitution or educate the jury on the Constitution if you're going to be in No, I, I believe the jurors, well, I think it's one of the failures in our system where the jurors just by growing up and being educated don't know that these are their rights. You know, they walk into a courtroom, they have no idea what their, what their rights are. I think most 
most citizens fear the courts in a lot of ways, and they get there, they're given these instructions, and they're like, well, I better do what I'm told. And that's kind of the way we're raised as far as us and how we relate with the government. Um, so definitely, people need to be educated before they get into the courtroom. Sure, most people go into a courtroom, and I would imagine it was a bit intimidating when you were there? Uh, somewhat. I admit I didn't know that I had the lights that explained. Well, good for you for standing up and saying that I think that this process is flawed. I mean, most mm -hmm. people, you were the only one who did it in your group, right? I, I believe so. Absolutely. So people at mm -hmm. home are applauding you right now. <laughs> and if people uh, well, thank you. That's not the procedure for doing it. The procedure is if, if the, the legislature creates a law, the executive branch enforces a law, and, and the judicial branch interprets a law. And if if there's a law that's unconstitutional, then the judicial branch reviews it and strikes it down or upheld, upholds well, it. That, that, that John Jay, Oliver Wendell Holmes, Stone, they, they, these Supreme Court justices of the United States disagree with you. So I, I, with all due respect to you, I think I'd probably take their word for it. I was on the internet and I want to, because we're, we're getting short on time, I did want to address, I, I was on the internet and I saw this fully informed jury association, that I didn't really understand, they want to inform juries or they're fully, talking about what we were talking about? Yes, fully informed jury is basically the, the tag phrase for the, all jurors, including grand jurors by the way, which we haven't discussed tonight, knowing what their rights are as opposed to what they're allowed to know their rights are when they go into the forum. Oh, exactly what we were talking about. Exactly. So if, this group wants to do something to make sure that everybody knows what their rights are. I think if jurors actually knew that when they were sitting on the jury, they had more power than the legislative branch, the executive branch, and the judicial branch combined, combined <laughs> you know, I think more people would be interested in jury duty. Okay, solutions. What's the solution then? Counselor? You know, it's, it's not a perfect system, um, but it's the one we have, and I think that the unfortunate fallout from your website and your advocacy is that it's going to result in uh, people absconding from their jury duty, which I think is uh, it's not a positive uh, force. I think we, we need to encourage people to serve as jurors, not encourage them to find loopholes to get out of jury duty. And, right. and I, I support what you're saying, by the way. I'd love yeah. to see more people go down to the jury hall and know what their rights are and to exercise those rights when they walk in the door. Uh, the only reason I brought up the letter is because it illustrates that there's certain things that they don't want to tell you, yeah. uh, just like the judge. And, and I like that. We've got to, we're out of time. We're out of time, guys. Oh. But I, I do like that concept that I'd like to know what my rights are if I'm going to serve on the jury. There you have it. A disturbing aspect of that discussion is your right of jury nullification was not only frowned upon, but argued against by an attorney, an officer of the court. The attorney was so angry with what had transpired during the show that as soon as the red lights on the cameras went dark, he stormed out of the studio without a word to anyone, including the host. It's important to keep in mind that it doesn't matter if the entire court system, including judges, wants to prevent you from exercising the right of jury nullification. Those who oppose your right are a tiny minority of the U.S. population concentrated within one particular industry. As you know, during 2020, 2021, and 2022, Americans saw the right of free speech denied on platforms like Facebook, YouTube, and pre-Musk Twitter. In certain circles these days, it seems to be thought acceptable to treat your rights as if they are subject to consensus, even if that consensus is only within a small minority. And to be clear, that's 100% not 
acceptable. If that was the way it worked, rights would not be rights. They'd be privileges you'd be allowed to exercise only at the whim of one group or another. That is exactly what the left turned free speech into during 2020, 21, and 22, something you could no longer exercise because a minority disapproved of open discussion and debate. I should also add that open discussion and debate includes the right to be wrong. If the yardstick for free speech was that you could only speak when you're not wrong, then somebody else would always have the power to determine when or if you're able to speak. Don't let another right get trampled simply because a tiny group of asshats doesn't want you to know you have the right of jury nullification and don't want you to exercise it. So what's the answer? Simple. Ignore the asshats, and if you feel jury nullification is the right thing to do in a particular case, do it. Lots of people are afraid of the courts, but the nice thing about jury nullification is if you keep your mouth shut in the jury deliberation room and simply vote as your conscience dictates, there is nothing anyone can do about it. What's the difference between engaging in jury nullification and not engaging in it? In most cases, knowledge. The government literally counts on you being ignorant and fearful. While the government relies on your ignorance, once you become informed, the government then relies on you fearing you might get in trouble for exercising your right. Let me say that again. The government is relying on you being too afraid to exercise your rights. Let me phrase it more directly. The government is counting on you to be a coward. To that, I have two questions. How does that make you feel? And are they wrong about you? Of course, jury nullification isn't the only right the government doesn't want you knowing about or exercising. The government also doesn't want you to know about or exercise your property rights. Are you aware that under the U.S. Constitution and decisions of the U.S. Supreme Court, the pay you receive when you work is your property that no one can take from you except through the courts with due process. And when I say no one can take it from you without going to the courts with due process, that includes the government. That's why, despite the 60-year false narrative, Congress has never imposed the income tax on ordinary working Americans. If your mental knee-jerk reaction to me saying that was that the income tax is an exception to your right of property, that it sets aside your constitutional right to keep the fruits of your labor, I hate to tell you this, but you are totally brainwashed. Let me share two Supreme Court decisions with you. In Butcher's Union Company v. Crescent City Company, the Supreme Court said, quote, the property that every man has is his personal labor, and it is the original foundation of all other property, so it is the most sacred and inviolable. What does inviolable mean? Here's how several dictionaries define it. Secure from violation, impregnable to assault or trespass, invincible, incapable of being transgressed or dishonored, immune to attack, incapable of being tampered with. Now, let's add the words of another Supreme Court decision. In McCullough v. Maryland, the court said, quote, The power to tax is the power to destroy. So, the court said your labor, which is the basis of your survival, is secure from violation, impregnable to assault or trespass, invincible, incapable of being transgressed or dishonored, immune to attack, incapable of being tampered with, and then said... 
The power to tax is the power to destroy. I hope you understand that the court said you have a right to your labor, which includes the fruits therefrom, that cannot be transgressed, dishonored, or assaulted. And if the government could tax the fruits of your labor, the right you have in your own labor would be destroyed. I know this may sound theoretical to you, or you may think the government doesn't obey such rulings. And while I won't totally disagree with you in a general sense, when it comes to the income tax, Congress and the executive branch have followed the case law impeccably. And then they just lie to you about what the law says. Instead of reading it for yourself, you just took the government at its word. Why would you do that? (laughs) There are things everyone knows not to believe. The check is in the mail. I'll only put the tip in. Safe and effective. And anything the government says. Since everyone knows to never believe anything the government says without researching it, why would you have bought the government's disinformation that Congress has authority to tax your labor without reading the law for yourself? The good news is I'm going to help you correct that. All you need to do is read... Income tax shattering the myth, and you will never again be fooled into thinking Congress has imposed the income tax on the labor of ordinary working Americans like you. This would probably be a good time to let you hear what your fellow Americans have said about income tax shattering the myth. Hey, Dave, just wanted to say thank you for writing your book. I got it Friday and finished it yesterday. It was amazingly clear and explained so much. I had a discussion with our company accountant in HR today, and the accountant was blown away and said that it all made sense. He said he's buying the book today. Again, thank you. Rip said, love your book, Dave, and have put it to practice. This should be a bestseller. And thanks, Dr. Dave. I'm walking the walk on taxes thanks to you. And as what I call a moral obligation, I have given five copies out to my family members as well as body science. I can't thank you enough. Close quote. When you read Income Tax Shattering the Mist, what can you expect? You can expect a massive amount of conclusive evidence that Congress is constitutionally barred from imposing income tax on the American people and, for that reason, has, in fact, never done so. What is this massive amount of evidence, you ask? It's Supreme Court decisions, statutes, regulations, internal IRS documents the IRS never thought anyone outside the service would ever see, treasury decisions, treasury orders, determinations of the Congressional Research Service, presidential executive orders, and more. Remember I said you bought the government's false narrative without doing any research? This is all the material you would have found had you done the research. It's all laid out in a manner that makes it easy to follow and understand. When you close the final page, you will know the truth of the income tax with the same level of certainty that you know your own name. It took me 17 years to compile all the evidence. You can see it all and know the truth in the time it takes you to read Income Tax Shattering the Mist. The information is presented like a mystery novel. It draws you in. You want to know the entire scheme. Because of that, many readers have referred to it as a page-turner, and finished it in just a few days. It is that compelling. What do you do once you know the truth? That's up to you. I would say that at a minimum, if you care about your country, you should be informing everyone you know about the government scam. As Leonardo da Vinci said, nothing strengthens authority so much as silence. 
If you want to end the scam, the first order of business is to make sure everyone who has taken the government at its word knows they were lied to and the income tax does not apply to them. If you're so inclined, the next step is to safely walk away from the scam, as I did decades ago. I haven't filed an income tax return or paid a penny in income tax since 1993. Of course, as we sit here talking today, that's probably a scary proposition for you because you haven't yet seen the facts. You haven't yet seen what the law really says. Once you read income tax shattering the myths, you'll be a lot more comfortable considering whether you want to safely leave the scam behind and keep what's yours. To be clear, after reading Income Tax Shattering the Mist, you are under no obligation to do anything, but at least you'll understand the government is knowingly, willfully, and intentionally stealing from you, and having seen it with your own eyes, you'll be in a position to make an informed decision whether you want to allow it to continue or safely leave the scam behind. You can get Income Tax Shattering the Mist by going to drreality.news, drreality.news, the link is down in the notes, while you're there, check out Body Science. It explains why Americans are the most chronically ill people on the planet and in all of human history and gives everyone a crystal clear path to living healthy, happy lives. If you or someone you care about is suffering with chronic diseases, you need to read Body Science. As many readers have commented, Body Science is a complete game changer for gaining a proper understanding of human nutrition, physiology, and getting incredibly healthy. Also, by purchasing Income Tax Shattering the Mist and or Body Science, you help me to continue to be here for you with these thought-provoking presentations. Please share this vodcast. Thanks for being here and take care.